0: You're listening to DevPath.fm, the podcast podcast about about career career development development for software software engineers. engineers. Join the conversation at www.DevPath.fm or on Twitter at DevPath.fm. Hey everybody, this is Jacob Harrington. I'm here with Jason Sweat. Jason's a podcaster, developer, and I'm an author now. Jason, do you want to say hi and talk a little bit about what you're working on? Hey, I'm Jason Sweat. Like Jacob said, I am a, uh, I'm a consultant
1: and I'm a teacher and I'm working on a book, which is actually my, my second
0: book. I focus mainly on Ruby on Rails testing. Jason, what part of teaching others and writing do you think is the most exciting or enjoyable?
1: good question so as far as teaching goes what i do is uh in the past i've i've done engagements where i will fly to a client's office and deliver an in-person class which will be like typically a three-day class sometimes a five-day class and then i actually teach a class in detroit each year that is five weeks Um, and that can be pretty interesting because there can be quite a variety of different types of students When I first got into this kind of work, I figured that the people I would be teaching at these corporate training engagements would be like junior level people. They're actually like senior level people. So I was often teaching people who were like 40, 50 years old with way more experience than me, which was interesting. Um, But the reason that is, is the company will make a decision to like adopt a new technology or something like that. And then people will need to get re-skilled. But I just find it really, really enjoyable and fulfilling to um, to help people learn a lot faster with my help than they could on their own. And the feedback is immediate, and we don't get that in development a lot, I think. You, you work on a feature over a period of time, and people are breathing down your neck to get it done. And uh, then it's finally done, and they're like, finally. Um <laughs> And and then uh, you know you don't you don't even necessarily ever see people use it, and so if there's any feedback ever, it's a really long feedback loop, uh, and maybe there's a game of telephone in that feedback loop too. But with training, you you just
0: teach, and then you see the results immediately, and that's really great. How did you get started as a developer, and then how did you transition into teaching? So my dad
1: is a developer also so we've had computers around forever um so i was born in 1984 and so this was like you know i was kind of born during the pc revolution or whatever you want to call it and so i can remember in like the early 90s my my household having computers around Um, and so I've, there's just been computers around ever since I can remember. I found this old book of my dad's, this Pascal book. Well, it was a new book at the time, but it's a, a Pascal book. And I kind of did some examples out of that. And and that's kind of how I got started with that. Um, I got started with teaching because I heard a podcast episode with this guy named Reuven Lerner. Um, he, he does training full time and he kind of talked about the... Uh, the the he compared a development career traditional development career with a teaching career and i'm like hey that teaching sounds kind of interesting and and better in certain ways and so i got started by uh, reaching out to some training companies and seeing if they wanted somebody to to teach for them i actually didn't end up fully transitioning into teaching i i tried it for a little bit it didn't work out quite the way i i thought just for like with the money and travel and all that kind of stuff. Um so I still do some of it, but most of my uh most of my time is spent actually coding.
0: So what made you decide that you didn't really want to do teaching full time? It's not that I don't want to, it's that I couldn't make it work. Mm-hmm. Um so
1: training through training companies, the training companies take a big cut of mm-hmm. of the fee. Like I mean a serious big cut, like 50 to 75% so you're only left with uh, with a fraction of the actual fee. So that's part of it. Um, and then, so it's it's like a week of training is still more than what you'd probably make in, in a week of like freelance coding though, but only just barely. Um, but the other thing is the, the leads are very unpredictable. So I had a situation in 2017. It's like I had a five day class in February then in early March, I had like a three-day class. And in between, there were just like these couple weird, unusable weeks where it's like, well, I don't have any classes, but I can't really use these two weeks in between. And so it's it's a real challenge. And it's like you can't take that time off of a regular job to go do that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do freelancing unless you have a freelancing situation that's that's just so. So just from like a logistical perspective, it's really hard to make that work. And if I'm going to be like... Uh, flying to all these places, being away from my family, it it better be like enough extra money to be
0: worth it. And it really just wasn't. Mm -hmm. Did teaching help you solidify your knowledge or was it something you just did because you enjoyed it? Definitely helped me solidify my knowledge.
1: Um, Teaching is kind of a famous, really good way to learn because when you Mm -hmm. teach somebody else, it forces you to know your stuff and when you teach other people they ask you all kinds of questions and and then you have to say well i don't know the answer to your question but i'll i'll try to find out for you and then you do it again people ask more questions and you just learn more and more and so yeah definitely
0: yeah i've i've heard a handful of people say that they really got into teaching to serve their own needs on learning Um, i feel Mm -hmm. like that's fairly effective um but one thing that i've always been interested in whether or not teaching helps people deal with imposter syndrome just because you have to get very comfortable with the idea of admitting your ignorance so you can learn more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think imposter syndrome is
1: something that everybody deals with, including myself. Um, and I have a couple things to say about that. One is like, I don't know, you, you mentioned people teaching as a way to like, you're teaching yourself something and teaching other people at the same time. I think that's great and i think that's a great thing in the development community in general i i wish more programmers would do that like here's a blog of just like stuff that i'm learning myself because that's actually like the best time to teach it is right after you learn it because otherwise you gain what they call the curse of knowledge which is where you learn something and then now that you know it you can't imagine not knowing it and you don't remember later on how how confusing it might be or whatever. And so it doesn't seem like a big deal. And so you're not a very good teacher of it anymore. But right when you learn a thing is is a great time to, to teach it. Um, I don't necessarily have any advice for like uh, getting over imposter syndrome other than to say, if you, if you get to the point, the, the more you know your stuff, the more I think imposter syndrome goes away. But also at the same time, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> it's like the, the Dunning-Kruger mm-hmm. thing. So it kind of cuts both ways. So I really don't have an answer to offer in that area.
0: So what was your first experience formally or just as a developer mentoring others? That would be
1: in 2014 when I got involved with a couple certain organizations. One is called Thinkful, which which listeners might have heard of. Um, they have a thing, or at least they had a thing at the time where you could go sign up and, and get screened or whatever, and then be a mentor. Um, and I did that just for like, for fun and for like some side money and stuff like that. And that was, that was kind of cool. Um, I, I did this other, and basically you would help, you would help these students with their homework or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but there was this other organization i got involved with andela and they were not really known at the time but i think they're pretty well known now they're an organization that's based jointly in um, new york city and lagos nigeria which i didn't know this at the time but lagos nigeria is the biggest city in africa um they're based there and and i got paired up with them i responded to some job ad or something and it was really funny. I, I got a voicemail from Obi Fernandez, the author of the Rails Five Way and who I heard the Rails Way, and I had known of him. He's like super famous in the Rails world. And then I got this voicemail. It's like getting a voicemail from Michael Jackson <laughs> or something like that. Um, but uh, anyway, I he and I talked, and and it worked out, and we worked together. So what I would do is I would. I would spend the first couple hours of my day pairing with somebody in Nigeria. So they're like, they were like six hours ahead of me from Eastern time or something like that. So my morning was their afternoon. I I would pair with them in the morning and just help them help them work on whatever they were working on. Their model is that they, Andela will find really smart people and like put them through these, these like logic tests and, stuff like that to find just like the absolute brightest people they can. And then they'll teach these people programming and put them on actual client projects. And in order for that model to work, at least this is how they did it at the time, they would have these, these very, very junior programmers um, pair with, with people like me who were more experienced and we would help them get unstuck say okay the client's asking you to do this how do you break that down into discrete tasks and stuff like that so that was a really um that was a really cool experience um and i actually got to go over there after i had worked with them for a little bit in early 2015 i went over there for like three and a half weeks and did some on-site teaching for a while
0: was that an experience you'd recommend to other engineers who want to kind of build their own seniority Absolutely. I don't know if Andela in particular does that
1: model anymore. I, I don't think they do unless you want to move to Africa. Um, like seriously, I, I think if you want to move to Africa, you, you can do that for them. Um, but just in general, mentoring other developers is just like teaching for all the same reasons. It's a good way to, to help yourself and um, advance in your own career.
0: So at what point in your career would you say you kind of developed into a senior role? And, and can you point at any specific thing that helped you do that? I don't think I could point at any specific
1: thing or any particular um, point in time when I started considering myself senior. I've been coding, at least as a hobbyist, since the mid-90s, so a, a super long time. And then... I I remember my first job title that was like senior anything, but it really like the actual job wasn't really didn't feel like a senior something or other. Um, so it was more like a super gradual shift. And I don't even know what, what makes somebody senior or not. Cause like a senior developer at one place is more like, uh, I don't know. Senior developer at one place might be the same same competence level as like a CTO at some place mm-hmm. else, you know, like for me personally, I I would feel qualified to be like the CTO of a small startup or something like that. But then if I were to go work at Stripe or something like that, uh I would be like junior programmer, <laughs> you know. So I
0: I think it's relative to the organization. It's interesting. Do you think there's kind of a methodology as an engineer to gauge your own seniority or is it just something that you'll encounter different problems and you'll either be able to handle it or you'll have to go skill up i'm not sure i don't know if there's a way to measure
1: and i don't know if there's really anything to be gained by like trying to measure that i mean all the the way that i approach it is I do everything I can to, I, I'm not trying to like compare myself or benchmark myself against other people necessarily. I'm rather trying to bench my benchmark myself against like myself a year ago. And so my, my hope is that I can be a better programmer today than I was a year ago
0: at this time. That's a much healthier way of going about it, I think, than worrying about because a lot of developers kind of get wrapped up in in that senior title and want to know uh, how to attain that and how to know if they're ready for that and I think the right answer is you don't you'll just eventually be one
1: yeah yeah but I I can share a little bit about how I think you can get other people to think you're you're senior which <laughs> sure and and not necessarily like your peers or anything like that but like say you're job hunting and you want people to perceive you as a senior level developer there's, there's certain like shortcut signals that that um, these aren't like tricks. I don't want to position it like that, but but and I, and I hate the word hacks, but <laughs> um, these aren't tricks or hacks. They're just, uh, I don't know, things you can do. So if you're somebody who does any of the following, if, if you speak at meetups or conferences, or if you write blog posts, especially if you have a blog that's like very focused around one particular topic, um, if you have a book that you wrote, obviously that's a big undertaking to write a book, <laughs> but you can just write like an ebook that's like thirty pages as as a start, just to see if like that's the kind of thing you are into, and that carry that really does carry weight with people. Um, if you host your own podcast or if you guest on podcasts all kinds of stuff like that. Those are all signals that say to an employer, this person cares about what they do and they know something about what they do. And the thing is, you're just the same person. You just know all the same stuff. The only difference is now you're like speaking and writing about these things. And you can kind of pick from that menu of options depending on what you're comfortable with. If you're a good writer, but not a good speaker, then maybe you'll go the the blog route or whatever. But if, if you have all, I've had people say to me after I wrote my, um, I wrote this small short ebook on the topic of how to use Angular and Rails together. I think it was like 50 pages in its first version and not, not a whole lot longer than that later. I was on the phone with a prospect and they said, obviously, you know, your stuff, you wrote the book. And I didn't need <laughs> to convince them or, or claim that I knew anything that I didn't know or anything like that. They just assumed I was an expert. And that happened on a lot of occasions.
0: So if you want other people to think you're senior, those are some things you can do. Did you set out with the goal of writing a book or did it something that you did on the side as you were learning? Yeah, so I've, I've had this goal forever to try to
1: make a million dollars. And that was a step on that path. Um, and it probably sounds funny, but that's a serious goal that, that I have. Um, and I've tried about a million different business ideas to get there. And this was one. So I had, I had built the site, angularonrails.com. And one of my posts that I wrote there um, made it to not only the front page of Hacker News, but like the number three slot of the front page. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And the site got like kind of a lot of traffic more than anything I had done before. And I'm like, this is awesome. I don't know how to make any money with this thing. I I put some ads up that didn't really work. Um, and I thought like, okay, maybe I could write a book about this, but how do I know anybody's going to buy it? Um, and it it took me a long time to like figure out how to make that work. Finally, I figured out, Oh, I can, I can just pre-sell it before I actually write it. And that's what I did. Uh, I I said, Hey, does anybody want to buy this book that I'm going to write? seven people actually gave me money for it and said so I said okay if seven people will give me money for a book that doesn't exist yet then probably a few more at least will mm-hmm. will buy it when it does exist so i wrote it and and had kind of a modest success with it
0: so that's that's how that came about as someone who does freelance and pursues your own ventures have you needed to build business skills that are outside of the traditional engineering path oh absolutely um, I used to
1: think that building an online business was maybe like 10% businessy stuff and 90% just like coding and building the thing and stuff like that. But it's more like 50-50 and maybe even less than that. Like sales and marketing are, are crucially important. They're at least half of the whole endeavor.
0: As an engineer, have you found the resources to do that? Is it just experience or do you actually go out and, and try to learn those skills? Um, well, right now I'm taking a class
1: it's called 30 by 500. Um, th- I had, I had known about this class for years before I enrolled in it. Um, cause the, the people who run it, Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman, they have a bunch of blog posts and they have a podcast and stuff. So I had been a fan of theirs for a long time. Um, that class has been more helpful to me than, than any other single thing I've done. But just, just like voraciously reading books and um, talking with other people. The main thing is, is I followed this strategy, which is I've I've decided this thing that I want to do. I want to build an online business. And so I said, okay, let me find some other people who have successfully done this and find out what they did and do what they did so Mm -hmm. I can get the results they got. And I think that's a good, uh, a good strategy to follow no matter what you're trying to achieve. But that was helpful. But as, as far as business goes, there's so much, um, there's so much BS out there. It's really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. Um, but for me, that just came of many years of learning as much as I could, and taking action all along the way, and making a lot of mistakes and then correcting.
0: So what's your strategy for you mentioned wanting to make a million dollars? What's your what's your strategy for like increasing your uh, your income? Good question. Um so all the stuff I'm doing right now
1: uh at codewithjason.com teaching rails testing, that's all part of it. Um so I'm working on like I said I'm working on a book. Uh the book's called Rails Testing for Beginners. And that's kind of like a seed. I'm putting this this book out there. It's the first of what I think will be many products. Um, I don't I don't expect to make a million dollars from a book, mm-hmm. but you know maybe a book first. Then if that's received well, a course, maybe other stuff. And when a person does things like that, and I'm just going to self publish the book for starters, but then maybe take it to a publisher after that. When you do that, you can attract the attention of uh, corporate clients. Mm-hmm. And so like, um, I, I was talking with some other people who had written a, uh, a popular book on a certain JavaScript framework. And they were telling me about this, this big company that reached out to them because they wrote the book and they did a training program for them and it was, insane the fee that they charged for this class. Mm -hmm. It was as much as a lot of people make in a year for like a one week class. Um, and so those kinds of, um, activities are, are a path to extra income too. And, and that was actually one of the things that attracted me to, uh, to training in the first place. Um, so that's kind of the path that I'm on now, the, the whole info product thing. It's really early stages for me now because right now I'm not selling any products at all. I just have the free material. Um, so we'll see exactly where that takes me. I don't have it 100%
0: charted out yet. How do you make time for that when you're also working as a freelance developer? That's a great question. Um, so
1: part of it is just like aggressively trying to figure out how to charge the highest freelance rates possible mm-hmm. so that a person can make, uh, the same amount, um, the same money in less time or more money in less time or whatever, so that I can free myself up for, for other stuff. Um, and another part of it is just like time management. So it used to be that I would try to spend time on my stuff. Like every Friday, Monday through Thursday, I would work on client work Friday. I would work on my stuff. Well, it always turned out that client work was too, quote, unquote, important. And so it would take up my entire week and then Friday afternoon would come and I hadn't worked on my own stuff at all. Eventually I realized, wait a second, the stuff that I'm working on for myself is way more important to me than any particular client project. So if it's more important, why am I putting it last? And so I gave myself permission to put the most important thing first. And so these days... I will often take like the first hour of each day and work on my stuff. And then I'll take the rest of the day and work on client work. And during the times when I've had full-time jobs, sometimes I would get up a little bit early in the morning and, and do some work uh, before I went to work. And that worked out pretty well too. I, I have a wife and, and two kids, they're five and eight. So I've had kids for, for eight years, I've had at least mm-hmm. one kid. And then, you know, you can't just say, hey sorry wife i'm gonna i know I just got home from work and you've been with the kids all day or whatever. I'm just gonna go uh you know work on this thing for two more hours. Mm-hmm. that doesn't fly so i've I've had to be pretty disciplined about um about making time to do this stuff that's important to me and cutting out things that aren't that
0: uh important like watching t v and stuff like that
1: mm-hmm.
0: so what was your Kind of intro into working for yourself. Have you always done that or was there a specific period where you went from full time job to kind of entrepreneur, freelancer? I had wanted to for a long time and I had a couple
1: of false starts where I was like, okay, I'm going to go freelance now. But then like I landed some awesome job or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in 2011, I got fired from a job and I kind of at that point I said, okay, this is it. I could go to another job that I hate, or I could go freelance at this time, and it coincided with like the end of a uh, an apartment lease, and there was this kind of opportunity where me and my wife could go live in this uh, relatives' house that they owned for, I think like for free or for really cheap or something like that, and so that was like it seemed like a good opportunity. So I did that, um, and that first year, I made like barely any money at all. It was um, it was really pathetic how, how badly I did as a freelancer. But um, each year I did a little bit better. Um, and there was a certain point in time, I think around 2014, where my income was like about what it would have been at a regular job or mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. And today, my my income is much more than it would be at a regular job, but it took a long time. You know, it took from 2011 to like 2014 to to get up to a regular income, and then a few more years after that. 20, 2018 was really the first year where I really made more than I could have at a regular job. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was like it was almost like. What have I been doing all these years? <laughs> well, why didn't I just get a regular job this whole time? These things take, uh, can take years to really be successful with. Do you have advice for anyone who wants to
0: break into that space?
1: Yeah, I have a lot of advice, probably a lot more than we have time for right now. Um, but same, So the same principles that that apply to getting a good job apply to getting good freelance clients. So all that stuff I mentioned before about speaking and writing and all that kind of stuff, um, those are the ways not only to attract clients, but when you find yourself in in conversations with freelance prospects, if you have... So the, the best possible thing you can have is a book with a reputable publisher. So if I wrote a book for like Addison Wesley or something like that, and it's like a popular book that everybody knows... That carries huge weight, way more than if I just have a self-published ebook. But any kind of thing that you have like that, um, when you're talking with a prospect, they're going to look at that and say, oh, you wrote this book on the exact thing that I want to hire you for. Um, these other people I'm talking to about the same job, they don't have that. So you must be the best. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing helps a lot. Um I I guess I'll just give one other tidbit of advice, which is if you want to start freelancing, um, you can start on the side first and kind of get some practice doing it before you totally jump in with both feet like I did and then have uh, a
0: really tough year the first year. Um, I have a question that I ask everyone and I'm interested to hear your answer. One thing that I think our industry really struggles with is imposter syndrome, but also uh, hero worship. So people that do things like this or do things where they they go speak at conferences or like you said, they write books and they get this kind of uh, they get those benefits, but they also kind of get put on a pedestal by the community. Um, And it's easy for someone who is an onlooker to see those people and think that what they've done is the result of something unique about them. And there's certainly a level of privilege that probably helps out. But generally speaking, they're just normal people and they have things they suck at. So if you don't mind, would, would you share something that you consider yourself to be bad at? Oh yeah.
1: I actually took some notes in anticipation of this question. Um, so historically I'm, I'm bad at talking, which is funny that I'm on a podcast (laughs) and I have my own podcast. Um, but, but my ambitions are such that I'm willing to just plow through that weakness and and just be okay at being bad at talking, um, or be okay with being bad at talking. See, I was bad at talking. just now. I'm I'm bad at listening, so uh, you know when people have uh, meetings at work, I, I'm terrible at like catching the things that people are talking about, um, and so I need everything to be like uh, written down. I do much better with, with written things than listening. Um, I only have a few things that I wrote down here, but uh, short-term memory. I can't remember. So like, I'm the kind of person who will like walk in. I did this just like two days ago. I, I walked upstairs to go grab something out of my room. And then I came back down the stairs and I was like, wait a second. I, I don't have that thing. I went upstairs <laughs> to get. Um, And uh, the other thing is, is quick thinking. So I'm usually good at like finding the right answer to something, but I have to go and like sit and think about it. I can't, I can't figure it out. It's like if you've ever seen that episode where something happens to George Costanza and then later in the day, he's just like sitting there and he's like, that's what I should have said. <laughs> um, I have that kind of thing happen all the time. I'll I'll be talking with somebody in a meeting or something like that. And then later on, I realize, crap, that I have the answer now. I didn't have the answer <laughs> then. Um, so those things are total... Uh, Total handicaps for sure, but everybody has handicaps. And and the more you like are aware of them and, and, you know, embrace them or whatever, and you can work around them, then, then you can be successful in spite of your weaknesses.
0: Well, Jason, before we wrap up, if somebody wants to learn more about you, where should they go? Sure. So code with Jason is kind of the hub of everything that I do.
1: Um, so, you can go there where you will find, among other things, my podcast, the Ruby Testing Podcast. Um, so, if, if that happens to be your thing, then, then that might be a cool podcast to check out. But uh,
0: everything else, codewithjason.com. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your experience. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.